This year, at the Northwest Christian Convention, we were blessed by some amazing pastors. Joining the conversation was Troy Dean, campus pastor and assistant professor of Christian ministry at Bushnell University. Pastor Delisa Mishintubi of St. Mark's Christian Methodist Episcopal Church in Eugene. And senior pastor Eric Green of the Father's House in Eugene. Lead pastor Doug Marshall of Valley Christian Church in Wilsonville. And lead pastor Stephen Anderson of Liberty Christian Church. How about we do this together. Give me a big good morning back. Good morning. Yeah, hey, all right, all right. Hey, uh, I know I know most of you in the room, but I'm a campus pastor at Bushnell University. Been there for now, I think, 12 years. And uh, I know, <laughs> hi, Graydon. Uh, Graydon did my wife and I's wedding, and uh, I was on staff at him, and I, I am so thankful that he probably doesn't remember how bad it was at that time. So uh, he saved me in so many different ways. Uh, it's another great story to tell. But anyways, I get a chance to be with college students there, and one of the joys that I get a chance to do is also teach. So I have uh, status as a faculty member, and I teach in our Christian ministry side. It's the classes and the opportunities for our students to get equipped and learn what it means to do the work of pastoring and ministering. In that class, I, whenever I teach, I try to find one core theme or idea that we're going to kind of walk through for the, for the class as we um, connect with different content. The primary theme when I teach pastoral ministry, which I am so thankful I get a chance to do that, the primary theme is shepherd. Throughout the Old Testament, and Jesus himself names himself as a shepherd of his people. It's the primary understanding of what we have of what it means to be a pastor is to be a shepherd. And there's wonderful different uh, metaphors, ideas, concepts, practices that are part of that whole uh, theme. Uh, By the way, if you really want to find out what God thinks about those who were shepherding Israel in the Old Testament... I'll just give you a real quick cliff notes. It's a lot of bad news. So the call to be a shepherd of God's people, I find is quite sobering, uh, quite complex, a challenge, but also a joy. So just a few minutes after I share kind of the themes of what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to introduce and bring up on stage four other pastors who I deeply respect and for whom I call friends in ministry. So the couple themes that we want to address today are the idea of being a shepherd. Psalm 78, uh, and this is about David himself, which I love that David was an actual shepherd, and then we use this idea of shepherding from him. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them, this is key, right? With integrity of heart and with skillful hands. We know that we expect our shepherds to be both people of character, but people gifted by God and competent for helping us all learn what it means to follow Jesus better. The second idea, I think, is this idea of apprenticeship. Now, we use the word discipleship, but sometimes I think we use words so often that, again, they lose their sense of meaning. Disciple was not just a student or a learner. You were not able to be a follower of Jesus by sitting in rooms and classes. Everybody say ouch. Like there is more than that. That is a place that is helpful, but it is no way the end result of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be shaped and formed more like our leader and forgiver, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are in fact 
apprentices of Jesus. And I like that phrase, that word apprentice, because it shows the activity that we'll be involved in. He does something and we're supposed to follow him and do the thing. One of my favorite authors of all time said this. He said, Jesus never taught something that he didn't expect you to actually do. Everybody say ouch. Right? Like when he taught us stuff, he's like, oh, and I expect you to do those things. Foot washing, anyone, anyone, anyone? I'll move on. So this idea of him calling us, and so for pastors, our primary role is to be those who help coach you and are co-leaders with you to help you be better apprentices. We're apprentices, but we coach you on how to do that. The key word for that, equipping. Ephesians 4, it says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to what? Equip his people for what? Works of service. So the body may be, of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. You become mature and then we will be united. You catch that order? See, the, the problem with us focusing on being united is that oftentimes our immaturity gets in the way. Everybody say ouch. So we have problems about how we think of other people and what we see and what we do and all these ideologies and idolatry that we have in the world around us. And so the actual pathway to unity is actually maturity. We have to grow up in Christ so that we can be like him and we will then model unity in a profound, profound way. Can I get an Amen. So here are the, uh, the five themes that I'm asking my friends to kind of share about today as we're up here on stage. And this is just something that I thought of. This is not at all something that's perfect in any way. But they're kind of key themes that I think kind of we find ourselves as pastors involved in and things that kind of shape and form this idea of what it means to be a, a shepherd and an equipper. And so here are the five. The call, the work, the heartache, the betrayal, and the shift. And I don't know if you're a pastor in the room today, but you probably will fixate on any one of those kind of words up there because you're like, oh no, I know what he's talking about. There's some time in your life that you experienced a call. For me, my call really did happen at a church called Eastside in Fullerton, California. And it's a profound thing. I have on my wall a, a couple different diplomas, but the, the thing that is framed on my wall that I have the most sense of uh, just been humbled by and a sense of, of charge that I'm supposed to be a part of is actually a little uh, certificate that was signed by a bunch of elders and a pastor at Eastside Christian Church in Fullerton. I asked them, I said, hey, I, I know this might be a little bit out of space. I'm a young leader at the time. Uh, can I be commissioned for the work to go do campus ministry that I was doing at Cal State Fullerton and Fullerton College at the time? College ministry. They came back and said no. And I thought, my first thought was, I overstepped. <laughs> Troy asked for something. His arrogant self got in the way and he asked the wrong question. They actually said, no, we don't want to commission you. We actually want to ordain you. Profound moment of affirmation. We all yearn and hunger for the affirmation that comes from God's people that we're supposed to do the things that God's called us to do. To this day, that certificate calls and charges me 
there was a group of elders, if you could believe this, way back then, who actually thought I should be a pastor. And I have not stopped doing that by God's grace since then. That call is profound and I take um, just the most uh, intense sense that that's an important thing to do and that I'm being held accountable to doing that. The next part is the work. The work is hard. It's difficult. I've already outlined it. It's to shepherd people and equip them to become more like Jesus. Does that sound easy to you? No, right? We're all still in process, right? How many of you are still trying to figure out what God wants you to do with your life? Can I see hands? Right, exactly. I get a chance to teach a class on calling to 18, and 22, to, 18 to 22 year olds. How many of you are like, uh, can I get that class? I think I missed that one when I first started. Yeah, exactly. And so this idea that we're, we are called into this work for God, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's around us. It's happening. It's doing things. It's going on. And for us, to become more and more aware of how we join God, it's a challenge. We get easily distracted. We get easily deceived. And so that's the work. The heartache. The heartache me- means that we get a chance to walk with people through different seasons of life. Joys and tragedies. Celebration and grieving. From weddings to funerals and everything in between. I pastored a church early on, the church that was launched out of Eastside as a church plant. It was called University Praise. The average age for the seven years I was the lead pastor there was 25. The average age was 25. Which means two things, right? First of all, I did a lot of weddings. A lot of weddings. I mean, pretty much that was a place where people were like, oh, hey, you smell nice. You know, I mean, they, 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 that's what happened, right? And we didn't have a building, so I did weddings in thousands of different locations. From a beach to a backyard. From a small chapel at a university to a bluff overlooking the coast. There was just, I don't know how many different kinds of weddings. I did country western weddings. I did weddings where people were like in hoop skirts and wearing scabbards. I mean, it was a weird, crazy time, but it was super fun. But the second part of that was, I did a fair amount of funerals. The average age of a congregation is 25 you're not doing funerals where people have lived this long, amazing, faithful life. They're tragic. They're tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. That's the seasons and that's the heartache. Both the joys and the grieving. The betrayal. We don't talk about this a lot, but I just want to be very honest with you today and say this. There is a lot of heartache that comes with the church, but it's the, the, the heartache that's the hardest is when you feel betrayed. Now, I'm not trying to say, I'm not going to do a big thing about like, oh, woe is us as pastors. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it is hard at times and lonely. I had a gentleman come to my office. Uh, this was at a different church uh, a number of years ago. And he came to my office and he had this bag in his hand. It was like one of those Subway bags. You know, they put the, the sandwich in there and he brought it in. And I'm looking at it and it was, looked strange because it was like it had a, it was like the bag was filled with water and then it had like a Bible in it. And I was like, what in the world? And this guy's a character. I've walked with him for many years at the church. And he came in and he sat down. And he says, I just need to tell you, Pastor, I want to give you this Bible. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what's coming. And he goes, because I, uh, I just want you to know that I think you watered down the gospel. Now, okay, first of all, I want to say, ouch, right? But the second part, I'm like, 
Dang, dude, you thought about that. Like you worked this one out. Like you figured out how you were going to try to really hit me and hit me hard. He was mad at me. Now, if you know anything about me, I am not a person who is scared of scripture at all. But he obviously was angry, upset, and thought that I wasn't doing something right. This is the same man who I sat in his living room when he had a gun next to him thinking about taking his life. I sat with him, prayed with him through all of his depression and heartache, and we got him help, and we consistently loved on him. As a pastor, you got to hold those two things in tension. That's hard. Now, at the time, thank goodness, I was at least mature enough to go, I know what this is. This person's upset, not liking what's going on. It's probably not really about me. It's probably about other things going on in his life. Sat with him, loved him, walked him through how he could be a part of another church in our community that I thought he would really fit at. See, I worked with all the other pastors in the community, so we talk about you all. Oh, hey, you know who's coming to my church this weekend? Yes, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't ask them to do, I mean, we talk about you guys, all right? And I had a good enough relationship with them, but I knew the kind of churches that they were and the way that they taught and the way they led. And I thought, okay, hey, I think that you really don't want to be a part of this church anymore. Even though I know you have relationships here, I think you really would like to be a part of a church that's more like this. And so we talked and he actually went to that church and he served in that church. But do you see how hurtful that is? Can you hold on to the fact that someone was genuinely trying to say something that absolutely would wreck any pastor to hear that they weren't doing their job well? Lastly, the shift. And I won't talk a lot about this because I'm going to let the panel talk about this. But we're in a serious season of shift, right? COVID revealed some things about the church. It revealed that we were addicted to our buildings and we struggled with what it meant to be people of God without them. And even though we went online, it's not the same of being together in person, is it? And so we're a together people who struggled with what it meant and what kind of relationship we had with our buildings. So there's a shift among us. What are we going to do about that? So these are the topics. I'm just going to sit around the room right now and invite my friends to come up here. And we're going to just walk through some of these ideas. And we hope that you're filling out some of those cards that are going around. If you have a question for us, we're going to try to leave some time at the end to do that. So let me invite up on the stage. Uh, these are my friends, some of them from Eugene, Oregon. So uh, Pastor Eric Green, come on up. He's at the Father's House. Uh, Pastor Delisa Mishintubby, she's at St. Mark's CME. Uh, this is Stephen Anderson. Uh, he is at Liberty Christian Church. And this is Doug Marshall at Valley Christian Church. Would you welcome them up today, please? see the shuffle. See where everybody's sitting, huh? <laughs> I'll sit over here. So that's great. So uh, there you go. Hey, on the couch. Nice. There you go. So this is the fun part about this. So I feel like God has given me the opportunity to go and meet people in so many different places in so many different areas in our community. I preach at different churches and I don't preach at churches that are just within our heritage. I get a chance invited. And to me, that is a huge honor. And it, because it says something about respect and trust. And so all the folks here, I feel like we have this sense of like, what does it mean to genuinely try to do life and ministry together? And here's the thing. I get to invite my friends to meet my friends. And I hope there's some really crazy things that happens. Delisa already met someone who she, you grew up next door to them? They live next to us in the 
Mike. They live next to us in Monroe. Yes. So all the way from Eugene to here to meet someone who lived next door. And not, or, and not meet, but to see them again. So it's kind of fun. All right, so the first question has to do with the call. And I, and I know that this is, not, this is not the same. Everybody experiences calls in different ways. So I don't have, there's no form to this. And my example is just one example. But what does it look like? And what did it look like for you? And I know these, are, these could be stories that take a half hour. My friends, don't take a half hour. Um, <laughs> but what was it that really kind of boiled down the sense of call that you have to follow God as a pastor, as a shepherd, as an equipper? So just go ahead, everybody take a chance and then go ahead and start, so. The call for me was, um, there had been a calling on my life that I loved the Lord all my life. But where I come from, I'm from Arkansas. They did not believe in women pastors. They really didn't believe in women preaching. And so when I moved here to Oregon about 30 some years ago, I went to two or three different churches, and then finally, one Sunday, my husband, and he was worshiping somewhere else, and I was at another church. I heard God say to me, I will not have you two worshiping apart. So I knew he was talking to me and that I was out of line, but still God was in my heart. And so I told my husband, this was uh, Memorial Day weekend, it was our anniversary weekend. I said, I will go with you and we'll find a church that we'll go to together. So we found a little church called St. Mark, CME Church. I have been an ordained minister for probably about 15 years, but never had in my mind that I would pastor a church. I was just going along with the ride for my husband to make him happy. Well, I was sitting in that church and God started talking to me. And then finally, every week, we started going back to that church. There was now, let me tell you, probably when we went there, 20 people in that church, but it had dwindled down to three people being in that church. Wow. I'm sitting here looking out the window one day saying, God, why am I here? What am I doing here? I don't belong here. The call just kept getting stronger each week. And finally, I had a bishop that came to me and said, God's been talking to me about you. And I said, no, because he's not <laughs> talking to me. And uh, he said, yes, he's been talking to me about you. Well, to make a long story short, I was in that place, that holding pattern for seven years. And then all of a sudden, God touched me. He said, you love the people, you love the church, but most of all, I can use you because you love me. And that was the clarion call that I heard. Obviously, he had been calling me all these years, but the call I heard was sitting there when he told me, you love me and I can use you. So... Fast forward now, I've been the pastor at St. Mark Church for almost three years. It's a church now where when I took over, there was three people. There's now probably 50 some odd that come now. But we also had this young man here come preach. I emailed him the week of Palm Sunday and asked, 
because you know what? We get tired sometimes, but he said yes. He came, tore the house down, and this is when God showed me we want more than just coming to church. We have to unify with each other. And so the call is still there, but you know what? The call didn't stop there. Ooh, come on. The call is still here telling me there's more I need from you, more I need you to do. And my husband, he'll come to me and he say, Pastor, what do you think about this? And I look at him and say, Pastor, he goes, yes, ma'am, this is church business right here. <laughs> and so uh, we just keep moving forward, but that was the call. And praise be to God, he's still calling me. Amen, amen, amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor. Uh, and uh, thank you, Pastor. And thank you all. I'm Eric, uh, Pastor of the Father's House in Eugene, um, Oregon. Um, and uh, met Troy uh, probably right when you got to Eugene, right? It's, man, time flies when you're getting old. Uh, <laughs> And um, <laughs> I, uh, speaking of getting old, I celebrated my 65th birthday last December. Uh, and um, I mentioned that because I didn't become an ordained minister on any level, uh, uh, recognized by the, the broader body as a minister officially until I was 40 years old. And I think that's the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> the absolute best for me. I'm not saying that for anyone else, but for me, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I grew up in church also, and I always loved the Lord. Um, I loved the Word of God from the time I was a child. Um, I like to brag, say I own the Sunday school trophy because I came home with it every Sunday. Uh, and, and for years, because I believed in doing my little Sunday school lesson. Remember when we used to get those um, periodicals, I guess every three months, you get, you get your Sunday school lessons for the three months, you get a new Sunday school book. And those Saturday nights, I would, sit, I would make sure I shined my shoes, laid out my clothes, ironed my shirt. Uh, that was back in the day when you dressed to go to church. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, I was always prepared. I loved it. And um, my sister and I were, were uh, just made our confession uh, when we were, I was probably 10 or 11, and she's a year and a half younger than me, and um, I kind of thought that, uh, I kind of thought that being saved meant certain things that you didn't do this anymore, you didn't do that anymore, you didn't do this anymore, but I discovered that, you know, over time that uh, getting saved is not about limitations, it's about freedom, and um, I love the song that we sung earlier talking about freedom, walking in freedom. And so uh, uh, because of the, the upbringing that I had in the house of the Lord, I had a rock solid foundation from which to work, but I did not know I was called to ministry. My grandmother always said I was, but probably every Christian grandmother thinks they're grandson, so <laughs> I should be a preacher. And uh, I'm a musician, and uh, I'm, so I'm going to cut this, I'm going to cut to the chase here. In 1980, I uh, moved to Los Angeles to be, uh, to be a rock star. Uh, and uh, got married a few months later, went back to, to I'm from Baltimore, uh, met my wife at the University of Maryland. She's from Washington, grabbed her, we got married, we moved back to Los Angeles, started a family. And I just knew that I needed a church because when I graduated from high school, I also graduated from church. You know, uh, and uh, so I hadn't fellowshiped uh, regularly uh, during my college years, kind of fell away from that, fell into some other things. Um, and uh, but once I got married, I knew I needed to be in the house of the Lord because I knew I wanted my children to know the Lord. And I 
wanted them to know the Lord not just by hearing what I said, but watching the life that I lived. So we found a church. It took us a while. Really quickly, um, being a musician, my favorite group, um, pop group back in the, in the day was Earth, Wind, and Fire. And so my landlord knew I was a musician. He was a Christian. He invited me to his church. He said, Eric, I want you to come Tuesday night um, because we're having a, a praise and worship night. And I get there, and who's leading worship but the sax player from Earth, Wind, and Fire, uh, Andrew Warfolk. I didn't even know he was a Christian, much less a worship leader. Uh, to put it succinctly, I was hooked. Uh, and I became part of that church, and I knew that I needed to serve. And I told my wife the first week we joined, the first week we decided that was our church, I said, next week I'm going to volunteer for a ministry. Wanted to be on the worship team. Worship team was great, tremendous, but they weren't asking for people to worship team. They were asking for ushers. So I started to ush. And uh, that's a word. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and uh, so... Uh, I, 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 my pastors, to get to the call, my pastors were the first ones to tell me, hmm, you're not just a worship leader, because I did end up uh, joining the worship team, and, and that became a major, my first ministry, truly, um, recognized ministry in the church. Um, I still lead worship to this day, and, um, but my pastors were the first ones to tell me, you're, you're a teacher, you're a pastor. Um, ended up leaving that church and, and uh, volunteering as a minister, a volunteer um, chaplain, so to speak, at uh, the Fred Jordan Mission downtown Los Angeles, right in a smack dab in the middle of the crack epidemic. Um, and that was an eye-opener, but that's when I first realized the call because I prepared the teachings and the worship for the four o'clock services on Sunday afternoon with a room full of homeless people and, and people from Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles. So that's where I cut my teeth in ministry and preparing, um, uh, learning, learning to what it is to pastor. Uh, and um, I think there are three, I'll finish with this, I think there are three um, essential confirmations to your call. Uh, one is God, of course. Um, knowing that the Lord has spoken to you and knowing that the Lord has his hands on you for the purpose of vocational ministry. Um, second is you. Um, agreeing with God. The third witness is the elders. And having men and women of God who are above you, so to speak, and uh, who have gone before you, who look at you and confirm you and lay hands on you and uh, commission you and, and give you commission and permission. Um, and all those things, I believe, come along with one last thing, and I call it a woe, um, W-O-E. Paul says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And people will ask me uh, uh, about vocational ministry. I said, well, if you don't have the woe, and, and I put it this way, if there's anything else you can do and be happy, and fulfilled, do that. Because in order to do this, and to do it well, and to do it right, there has to be some woe in you. Because there'll be times when you want to walk away, um, but unless that woe is in you and says, whoa, then uh, uh, you might very well walk away. And if you can walk away, you should. If you can be satisfied doing anything else other than this, because there needs to be this woe in people who do what we do, uh, because that's where the commitment becomes so real that God can trust us with souls and situations. So, Amen. Amen. thank you. Well, my name is Doug Marshall, and uh, I pastor Valley Christian Church in Wilsonville, Oregon, 
And we were talking about the panel last night, and uh, Troy says, yeah, you're the old guy in the group. And uh, I said, thanks, Troy. And uh, he says, and he thought, wait a minute, Eric's older than you, but he, he doesn't look old. <laughs> and so I'm giving him a bad time. And so uh, I've been doing this a while and uh, been beat up quite a bit. I became a Christian. Uh, well, the first time I officially accepted Christ was in junior high. It's when I got on my knees and acted, asked Jesus in my heart. By the way, amen to both what you guys shared, right, you know, we're all right, right there together, and it took me two years after that before I realized I need to go to church, uh, you know, I didn't know, I was a kid, and so I was working uh, in a, out in a farm in Canby, and a couple guys moving an irrigation pipe, and they invited me to Canby Christian Church, and at that time, it was pastored by Jay Hoffman, who's now my father-in-law, and, uh, and so I started, I realized I need to get baptized, got baptized, but I hit the pavement running as a Christian, I was we had a bus ministry. I was a bus captain. I did youth group. I went to conferences. I was just like, you know, the, the teachers at my high school were worried about me because I was going all Jesus freak on them. And, uh, and so I was just in it. And so uh, my senior year of high school, I felt a definite calling into the ministry. And it, it kind of happened this way. I uh, attended a college visitation at, at that time, Puget Sound College of the Bible, you know, it's, it's closed, but it used to be called that. And the uh, president, Dr. Parrish, issued a message, and it was all about uh, Isaiah 6, where Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And that phrase, here am I, send me, is like, wow, and my heart was burning, and I accepted the call to enter full-time ministry then. But in the next month, I had three, uh, two other separate incidences where I was at an event where the main message brought was Isaiah 6, here am I, send me. And so you just combine that. And one of them was a Jews for Jesus concert. And the song was, here am I. And it's like, and so, you know, it's like, you know, it was just coincidence. Nah, you know, you just, you just know God's working, messing with you. And, uh, and so that was my call. Uh, when I kind of notified the pe- church, you know, no one was really surprised. It's about time you figured it out. It was that. So the, the confirmation, you know. And so I'd like to say I never look back, but the truth is I can- I've lost track of the conversations where I've asked God to take it back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, you guys maybe have had those conversations. Like, you know, my wife has got, got tired of me hearing on Monday mornings, I've got to get a different job. <laughs> and... You know, and uh, but I have the woe. That's I really appreciate that. I mean, you know, God didn't, has never released me, and I've never, you know, I'm still doing it at this. And so I was ordained. I went to Puget Sound uh, and was ordained in 1980, and so I've been, you know, doing it as an ordained pastor for 42 years. And and I, I shared it one of the deals here, and you guys heard some of my war stories, and uh, and so. You know, all I can say is I had that internal calling. I had external, uh, you know, evidences. I had uh, confirmation by people. And throughout the years, God has continued to confirm it in many ways, even being with me in those times where I was destroyed. And because those come, so. Amen. Thanks, Dad. Hi, I'm Steven. Troy referred to me as the young guy, so I don't know what that says about me. So I graduated last year. Just kidding, I did not, but I just can't grow a beard. So uh, I, I serve at Liberty Christian Church, and uh, I, I was born smack dab in the middle of the millennial generation. We are known to be cynical. We are known to be anti-establishment and religion, which I was all of the three. 
So uh, I grew up in the church like our worship leader. Uh, three times a week I was there. My mom was a children's pastor and director at our church. And my dad and, uh, went and got a ministry degree but worked in, in the maintenance department. But I was at church. Every, every day the doors open, I, I was in there. VBS, uh, I, I could tell story after story. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was 16 years old. My father completely abandoned my family, went up North Portland, and then moved to Las Vegas, got remarried. My sisters had gone to college, so I was left home alone. Moved out into my buddy's basement as a 17-year-old. And if you move into your buddy's basement as a 17-year-old, it's never a good idea, just so you know, if any of you are in that position. So uh, enter in uh, some rebellious years of my life. And... Uh, you know, wanting to be an indie rocker, musician, kind of wanting to make the scene, travel around Seattle, Portland, wanting to play in the clubs and the bars and stuff. And that was kind of like my dream. And when that world completely all, all fell apart, I was working at a, a Safeway Starbucks, which is a fake Starbucks, but a Safeway <laughs> Starbucks and one of those little kiosks. And uh, a, a lady came in every single day. She got a Vente black iced tea, too sweet and low, shaken, not stirred. So I got pretty good at it. So she would come in every single day and order the same thing. And eventually I would see her in the parking lot and then she would come in and I would just have it for her and, and go. And, and there, there came a time when I experienced so much brokenness in my life. My girlfriend had abandoned me, all my friend group and all these musicians, everything was just crumbling. And I was going through probably some, some deep depression and anxieties, still processing through the loss of my father and the pain of that. And this lady came in every day and she said, Stephen, you should come to my church. And she knew I grew up in church, but at that point, you know, when I moved to my buddy's basement, I stopped going to church uh, in general for a, at least a year or two. And she said, you should come to my church. And she attended Court Street Christian Church in downtown Salem. And I said, no, I don't want to, I don't want to. Until eventually I was just in this place of such brokenness that I finally said, you know, I got, she invited me to a worship practice and it's church music, so it's pretty easy stuff most of the time. So I said, okay, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go. And that evening at Court Street Christian downtown Salem, I was 19 years old. I was walking in, walking out of after practice, and a guy saw me carrying a guitar because I didn't have enough money to have a case for my guitar, so I was just carrying a straight guitar. And he said, hey, that's a nice guitar. And he invited me out to coffee. And over the next nine months is the first time, as someone who grew up in the church, somebody discipled me for the first time in my life. So he taught me how to read the Bible uh, we walked through the book of James together, and I remember he taught me, he said, Stephen, you've got to read the Bible like cows chew grass. I don't know if you've heard this one before. Yeah, they, they chew the grass, they get all the nutrients, they spit it out, and they chew it again, and they spit it out, and they chew it again until they get all the nutrients that are in there. And he said, this is how we need to read the Bible. And at that moment, I felt the call and saying, Stephen, there's a lot of people in my generation below that don't have fathers. There's a lot of people who need what you didn't have. And so go disciple them. And so um, I didn't take the traditional approach to ministry. I didn't go to a four-year college. Bushnell's fantastic, though. But I went to a, a small Bible college on the Oregon coast called Ecola. Did a couple years there. And then I just took literally any opportunity God gave me. So uh, they let me start leading worship. I worked with youth ministry, then church planning. And then God called us back to Salem, which is where I'm from, in 2017. So I've been there for five years now. Thanks, Steve. Awesome. Thank you. So we were talking a little bit about the work. I feel like the, the question about the work is just going to kind of come out through our conversation. I want to talk about the heartache. And what, and what I was kind of referring to the heartache is, and, and I don't mean heartache always as a bad thing, but just how emotional and how much you carry so much of when you're working with people and trying to love people where they're at and try to help them follow Jesus, that idea. 
talk a little bit about, maybe there's a story, a season or whatever else, where it was either a, like you're, you're walking with people through celebrations or through grieving or whatever else. What does that do and how have you navigated that range of emotional connection with people and walking with them? I know that's kind of a generic question, but I kind of said it this way, you know, share a story of the range of emotions or weight you carry as you pastor people. Okay. A range of emotions that's on any given day, I'm like this. <laughs> and uh, I will say this because once I was a member with everyone in the church that I pastor now, it's so much different now as being the pastor. Uh, the hard part about it is people see me sometimes still as the friend Delisa, which I want them to see me as their friend, but also some that come in new see me as Delisa, who is lead guiding and directing the ship. Well, you get pulled many ways while you're doing this. And then when you're getting pulled, at least for me, it makes me question sometimes, God, are you sure you got the right the Lisa Mission Tubby? Is there another person that you were supposed to bring in here? But the hard part about it is, is being in a church where the parents built that church 70 some odd years ago. And then I get to hear from some of the people, well, we've always done it this way, <laughs> but this is not how God's telling me to do it. But then I get to be where I feel a little schizophrenic because I want to make this group happy. I want to keep the kids happy. And I'll give you a little side note on the kids. Growing up, I didn't think kids liked me. And that could have been because I didn't really like kids back then. <laughs> but now the kids are what's flocking to me because I have a heart and a passion for the kids now. And so what, what hurts me and what makes me stress at night or keeps my, my mind going at night is the fact that each and every one of us have a calling on our lives. And not everybody is going to like you. Not everyone is going to be in your corner. Mm. But as long as you're doing what God has called you to do, what he's ordained you to do, I have to be okay with losing some people and bringing new people in. The power of the blood of Jesus is so strong that I pray that he brings us and unites us together, but there's some times that we're gonna have to shake the dust off our feet and walk on and walk in that calling that he's given us. So that's for me what's happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, Troy, you were asking about um, the, the emotional side of things. The Lord just dropped something on me several years ago, and I share it with my church often, that my emotions are not given me to, to lead me, but to inform me. Come on. And if I can keep that, if I can keep that front and center when it comes to my feelings, 
um, then I can keep myself from acting on those feelings that are up and down and everywhere and sideways and I don't even know where they came from. Uh, and and uh, because, uh, you know, uh, I feel a full range, the same, you know, range of, of, of emotions that everyone else feels. But if I follow those or let those lead me, uh, even, if the, even if they're on point, I, I believe all of our emotions, they're on point. We feel what we feel. It's not a matter whether it's right or wrong. We feel what we feel, whether it is right or wrong. Um, but whether it is right or wrong, um, following those feelings will get me... Um, will have me all over the place all the time. So I'm, 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 I've learned to do that, uh, to, to think that way you know, over the years. And um, I, I, I guess I, the story that I would, would uh, relate all these things to is um, I preached my dad's funeral um, last September 7th, uh, 2021. Um, and uh, you know how it says, how the scripture says that uh, a prophet is accepted everywhere except among his own people in his own hometown. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that, so, so there was a, just a whole emotional powder keg, you know, of my own emotions. I was very close to my dad. Um, and, uh, and then the emotions of everyone around, and then I, we, I have some special family members. And anybody here have special family members? Well, I have some a group of special family members, and they were special um, for, for that, that, that period. But having to sit in that place according to the anointing that's on my life and the calling that's on my life and basically preach the gospel to my family, uh, honoring my, my father and, uh, and his homegoing, as, 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 as we call it, um, and, and uh, that being um, so important. But, the, but to have the opportunity to stand before that large group of people and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and um, as, as a pastor, that's what keeps me centered. And, and hearing Steve uh, Stephen talk about um, uh, being discipled, something that he grew up in church but had never happened to him, um, I, I, I believe that, that that keeps me um, right where I need to be in my dealings with the people of God because at the end of the day, I'm not pastoring people for any uh, agenda or purpose that I have for them at all. I don't have a vision for people. I don't have a vision for their life. I don't have a vision for what they should do or where they should go. I'm not called for that. God gives them the vision. I come alongside the Lord and the Lord comes along through me uh, to help them to walk in the vision and purpose that he has for their lives. And so I keep it about, keep, keep it uh, discipling. I don't even call it discipleship anymore because it's not a program. It's just a relationship. And so discipling, standing, standing with men and standing with the women, standing with the people uh, in the church and constantly, consistently pointing at Jesus Christ um, has helped me survive. Uh, because it has been quite an emotionally taxing uh, and difficult ministry for me. I know everybody's ministry is different, and I praise God for the men and women who, um, you know, in good seasons <laughs> right now, and I hope it lasts, uh, but uh, we will go through some things in the ministry that will make us, people sometimes will be treated as if we're no better than, um, yeah, David talks about, hey, we used to throng to church together. We used to praise God together. I, I gave my, I fasted when you were sick. And, and, and now I'm persona non grata, and that's putting it mildly. Um, but we're prepared for that because Jesus has prepared us for us but by his example. Yeah. And the spirit that keeps us at the feet of Jesus Christ if I survive this thing, the emotional side of it, I survive it 
personally is because I know how to get to the feet of Jesus. And uh, when I get to the feet of Jesus, the burden rolls away and God only allows the burden that he has intended for me. Not a grain of rice over, but just the burden. And so the stress, uh, stress doesn't become a problem until it becomes distress. And if I have an ounce more or carrying an ounce more of what, than what God wants me to carry, then my stress, which makes me stronger, if you work out, you're stressing yourself, but my stress, which would make me stronger, becomes distress. And the Lord has helped me by putting people around me. Um, uh, my wife, uh, we've been married for, it'll be 42 years in October. Um, and we pastor together and, and uh, between, we, we, we help each other with that and make sure we share, share the load and share the burden so that neither one of us burns out and neither one of us uh, gets to the point where we're overwhelmed because if God has called us to these things, then we're more than conquerors through him um, who called us. Um, and that's, uh, that's uh, how, how the, the emotional side of things, because uh, it's rough out there, Joy. <laughs> We talk about it all the time. It, it, it's, it's, it's rough out there in today's, in today's church. Uh, and, uh, but with our eyes, I keep these, these two things on Jesus Christ. Finally, the last thing I'll say about that is that, um, you know, for my leadership, my leadership style is maybe a little different. I try not to spend a whole lot of time focused on my sheep. I know that sounds strange, but stick with me. Um, I believe true leadership is not focused on what's behind or around them or what's following them. True leadership is focused on the one that's leading you. And if I keep my eyes on Jesus, I'm very, very confident that I'll do well by the flock that's following me. And so that's been a great emotional help for me, just, just that that's been solid ground for me over the years. Amen. Yeah, as, as a pastor, you're going to go through the full range of emotions on so many issues. I mean, just, it's all over the place. Um, I, in the early years, um, and this kind of uh, piggybacks on what Eric shared is, um, you know, I, I, I ministered a lot in small churches, and you have to wear a lot of hats. You're doing a lot of things, but I was doing too much. Uh, I was running around doing everything, and, and, uh, and, you know, I was driven by other motivations, ignorance, all that kind of stuff. And, and, it's, and it's a lot of heartache when you experience failure because God's not going to bless what you're, when you're doing stuff he hasn't called you to do. So that was a hard lesson. And, uh, you know, it took me years to figure that out because I'm a slow learner. And, uh, and so I got beat up pretty good on that one. So, you know, failure after failure, people you invest your lives in, you know, time in, that they, it's like, you know, casting seed on hard ground that's not going anywhere. And so... You really have to listen to God's leading on that. Um, but then there's all sorts of other heartaches in ministry, stuff that happens, just life. Because you, when you are, you know, ministering to people and the heartaches and the things that, that happen. And it's just tough. It's devastating. Warrington was probably, I ministered for 15 years at Warrington Christian Church on the coast. That was a tough, it was a great ministry. We grew from like 120 to 280s. We're pushing 300 and it was a great ministry. They didn't want me to go when I was called to go plant a church. It was just a wonderful season. But we experienced a lot of death, deaths. And I did a lot of funerals. And they were tragic funerals. We, one of our young men committed suicide with a shotgun, you know. Talk about, and I got to do the funeral for that. How do you, you know. And there was a, a car wreck 
of six kids that got killed instantaneously, and I was the one to do the, you know, the community funeral service. And I could go on. We had this beautiful young lady, high school, in our youth group, and she just she went down to the Mexico mission, and just a just this, you know, bright, you know, star and reflecting Jesus all over the place. And I get the call that she and her sister were in an accident on Highway 26, and she died. And I could just go on, and I got to tell you, it took a toll on me. And uh, Eric's right. The emotional stuff is not to guide you. It's, it's an indicator. But you, know, you can know that, but it doesn't change the fact that you're, you're dying inside, and you, you, you go before the Lord. And, and, uh, and so there is pain, and you really have to learn how to deal with some of the, the tough stuff. And then you, and that's, we get in the next one, then you have people who, you know, betray you, but we'll get into that in the next one, if we have time. And so you go through all that stuff, but it comes back to, you know, time after time I had to stop trying to be a minister and just be a follower of Jesus. And it just came down to that anchor place where it's me and Jesus, you wake up and you just do the next right thing. Amen. That's all, that's it. Because you can't see any far that. We talk about vision, you know. We've got to have our visions. Man, my vision's been shot to pieces so many times. <laughs> and you're just wait, all right, God, what do you want me to do right now? You know? And so, uh, but that's okay. In fact, sometimes I think God called me to be a minister for me. For the very reason that if I wasn't in this extremely impossible job, I wouldn't be driven to my knees and, and brought to him before. If I was doing anything Come else. Come on. I just think I'd be coasting. I can't coast. You know, you can't, because, you, you, you know, so that's it. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Doug. I think, you know, as the most rookie on, on the board today, uh, what I've learned in the last half a decade of being a lead pastor is when it's going well as a pastor, it's like nothing else. When you have people coming to Jesus and you're baptizing people and the person that you've been counseling takes a big step in their faith walk and dedicates their life to Christ. I mean, there's nothing like it. And then the hard times, there's nothing like it as well, where you are, you know, the one who's there in immense times of grief and loss and pain and failure, uh, leadership struggles. Uh, when your friends abandon you or people that you feel like are ones that invest into you and then you, they go an opposite direction and you, know, you take things personal and ministry. It's just, it's just really challenging. And uh, a quote that really has changed my life over the last couple of months is the fact that God is equally present in your successes and in your failures. And I think sometimes we think if, if things are going well, that's when God's really happy with us. And when things are like, God's like, oh yeah, my relationship with God is great. And then when we fail, whether it's a leadership failure, uh, whether it's a strategic plan that doesn't work out, whether it's somebody uh, who's close to you walks away and we feel this immense pain, we feel like God is distant or far away from us. The reality is he's just calling us closer to him. And my favorite verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is in the book of Job, kind of an odd book for your favorite verse, but it's when Job loses everything, if you're familiar with the story, loses his family, loses his livelihood, loses his wealth, and he goes through all this pain, and the majority of the 42 chapters of Job, God is completely silent. And we don't like it when God's silent. We want answers. We want it now. And at the very end... Uh, of Job after God just really takes him to the, to, to the shed and, and really lays it out. Job says, 
God, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. And seen how if things went well for us all the time, we wouldn't learn anything. You know, we learn the best through pain and suffering. It's just kind of a fact. So God allows us to go through these times to birth something new out of us. So even in the season of heartbreak with, with COVID, you know, you said we've relied on church buildings. The church building I serve in is built in the 40s and it fits 80 people in it. So, I mean, for us, it's no, we couldn't meet it at all. You know, social distance, we have like 15 people in there in 2020. So with our volunteer team, it's, there's nobody else that we could fit. So um, it's just a season that I've, I've been working on allowing the pain and suffering in my life to draw me closer to God. Amen. Amen. Well said. Thank you, Stephen. So in my introductory remarks, I named all these different kind of categories and, and Doug, you're, I mean, the, the betrayal one, and, and, and it's hard because I don't know how to sometimes process that with you all. I, I oftentimes will, in, in the conversations with my friends who are pastoring, and we'll talk about that. I'm going to just let you kind of think about what does it mean and what do you think it feels like as a pastor? And again, I'm not, this is not a woe is us thing, so don't hear that. But just know that that's, that is an an unfortunate common experience as you pastor. And again, and we're not always getting it right. So don't, don't hear us saying like, well, you know, we were falsely accused for all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I just want you to know that and maybe process that. And then maybe even ask your pastor, hey, how have you dealt with times of, of feeling betrayed or, or left or whatever else? Uh, the last one is this idea of the shift. And um, just for in, in the last few moments, because I know we have some questions too. I don't know if we'll be able to get a chance to get to those. But if you were to give me one sentence of what you think this next season in ministry looks like. It could be either personally, kind of for you, or, or what do you think we as shepherds, leaders, people of the body of Christ need in this next season? And it doesn't have to be no perfect answer, but just what, what do you think? Let's pass it down the line. But yeah. um, I would agree with you. What you said before we started the panel, Troy, it's this next season, the most important aspect is spiritual maturity and depth, where we have to actually live out what the Bible says instead of knowing a bunch of different translations of one verse. Yeah, I'd have to ditto um, uh, we, the, the unity issue, and I appreciate what uh, Troy pointed out. It's, it's all about the maturity in the body, not doctrine, not all, you know, it's all that. Because we have people in our churches that are dealing with addictions and attachments and bad relationships, and, you know, they're just trying to live, and we're talking about, let's all be one. Why can't we all get along? And, you know, they need to learn how to bring Jesus into those things. And we, as a church, we haven't really done a great job equipping people uh, in this season of my ministry, well, the last 25 years, I've become a, my soapbox is teaching communication and conflict resolution, Christian. And that's my deal. And it's part of my ministry with Pastor Serve. And, uh, and so we do not teach Christians how to deal with conflict. In fact, as pa- when I try to sell this to pastors, we, dealing with conflicts is what we do so we can get back to the ministry. Or the, and no, Conflict is the ministry. Conflict is to, when we help people in conflict, that's discipleship. And we don't deal with it that way. And so I'm all about teaching people how to communicate in the tough times and 
deal with conflict in a way that's Christ-like and biblical, because that's where the maturity happens. And I'm always shocked at how leadership, elder boards, just go off the chart immature when there's conflict. It's like, have you guys read your Bibles? I'm just sorry, it's my soapbox, but yeah, you all know what I'm talking about. And it's like, well, that's got, if we talk about unity, let's just, you know, let's have our leaders learn how to deal with issues because every conflict is an opportunity to be a disciple and make a disciple, to experience the love of God, experience the grace of God, and just reflect Jesus. And so that's my deal. Amen. Well said. Thank you. That mic's coming at For me, I'm going to say this. No longer is it church as usual, but it's going to be church unusual because there's times we're now going to have to get out of what we're used to doing and move into what God is calling us to do. So that's my line right there. Amen. I don't know what to say after that. <laughs> um, this is as a... As a Stephen and Doug and, and Delisa was, was speaking, um, the Lord reminded me of something. The Lord speaks to me in, in small sentences that impact me that I can share a, a lot, and, and that's helpful for me. Um, and he, he, he basically said about us, we were talking about unity, I think um, Doug was talking about unity in particular. He said, Eric, we, you, uh, you will not reach unity by finding common ground but by finding holy ground. And for us as children of God, um, he doesn't call us to agree on everything and everybody, um, but he calls us to agree on everything and everybody that matters. And everything that matters is in, in Christ. That's it. Think about it. God doesn't love anybody and anything apart from Christ. And any, anybody that's apart from Christ, he loves them so much to bring them to Christ. And so uh, it, I, I find that if we will truly not just talk about it, but to let Jesus Christ be the center, be the point of agreement, be the point that matters at the end of the day, the only thing that matters, then everything else will come kicking and screaming into the light. Um, the final thing uh, that he just shared with me last week um, um, is that, um, how, did, how did he put it? Um, the Bible's not given to us that we can work out our problems, but that we work out our salvation. And if we put our effort and oomph into working out our salvation, then we truly are the church of Jesus Christ. We truly are the light of the world. And if we do that, then we will see God glorified in a way, in, in, in a way that no, nothing else can accomplish. Uh, and so that's my desire to work out my salvation. Uh, my problems will come once again, kicking and screaming into the light <laughs> if I put my work into my relationship with Jesus. Amen. Amen. So uh, we did have some cards that were passed around. Matt, I don't know if you're, if you're around. Um, we, we were right at 1130-ish, 35-ish. So I'm okay with whatever you all would like to do. If you want to ask and answer some of the questions that we have going on here, um, we can do a couple of those or however you want to do it. I, this has been great. So I think we're 
Okay, excellent. All right, so what we're going to do is, uh, and any of you, I, didn't, I don't know if I told all of you, but we do a podcast and we get a chance to kind of chat about some of these things afterwards. So afterwards, if you would like to participate in the podcast, we'll do that as well. Uh, would you just thank them for sharing and being so honest and transparent? So. Uh, the verse that I wanted to finish our time with, uh, and it was really funny because uh, we obviously have this phenomenal verse that's, that's a part of our, um, our conference, our convention this week out of Luke 5, but uh, almost all of you said something about this in the process. And so I just want to end with Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3. And I think this is a call to all of us, and it's a good, again, reminder of the call to be pastors. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for the call that you give to each one of us to follow you. The invitation to a life and a a relationship of peace with you that's been accomplished through Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus, when he went to heaven, sent for us a helper, the Holy Spirit, to empower, equip, convict, and transform us. God, may we be your people in this next season. And may your church be known as people who are apprentices of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. This episode was produced by the Northwest Christian Network. Theme song is Simply Beautiful by Scott Riggin. The Northwest Christian Network is a network of Christians and churches gathering together to serve the kingdom and cast their net across the Northwest. Find out more about our ministries and events at www.nwchristiannetwork.com. I'm Matt Holmes. Thanks for listening.